Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you for listening to Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Also wanted to remind you that each episode of the podcast is a breakdown of each episode of the show, and therefore we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. What are you doing? Making this woman more comfortable. I'm not sampling, I'll have you know. I mean, look at all these lovely blood-covered people. I could, but not a taste for spite, not a lick. I knew you wouldn't like it. You want credit for not feeding off bleeding disaster victims? Well, yeah. You're disgusting. What's it take? Hey everyone, definitely doomed. Back again, party on, Buffy people. Yeah. Let's begin. Uh, that's the episode by episode breakdown of every episode of Buffy that um, may take you longer to listen to than yeah. <laughs> would to maybe watch the episode. Last episode was very long. Yeah. But a couple of the previous ones, not so much. <laughs> This one, I guess we'll see. Joining me now in that quest, Basil, on the other line, your friend, oh. also mine. Yeah. Hi, Basil. Friend of the world. <laughs> friend to humanity. It's me. And hello, my name is Ruben. I'm here yeah. as well. That sure was me are. I heard talking before. Today we're going to be discussing Triangle. Speaking of, do you have anything you want to talk about in your life? <laughs> How's it going? Oh, I thought that was a specific thing, and I was like, I don't know of any triangles. No, <laughs> nope. it was one of triangles. my jokey uh, mm. transitions where it sounds like there's a connection and there's none. Nope. <laughs> Life's pretty alright. Closest thing for a triangle for me is I'm hoping to see three movies this weekend. I won't mention them by name and date this podcast, but you know what they are, Basil. <laughs> sure do. I'm also hoping to see those three movies plus another one in the coming week. All right. Uh, it's your turn to do the plot description, so tell right. us what happens in Triangle. All right, so Triangle picks up kind of... Uh, not a, precisely right after, but a little while after Riley has left in the previous episode. Uh, the absence is felt pretty heavily in the dialogue throughout this. The episode opens with some bed talk about Riley, which is a little weird, between Xander and <laughs> Anya, where he, he kind of forgets that, she's, that he's gone. And then... Uh, Buffy fighting some vampires to try and... Uh, I don't know. Process her sadness. And uh, the main plot of the episode involves um, the continuing antagonism between Anya and Willow over Xander, where they both kind of don't like each other and uh, kind of... Uh, in fights with one another, rely on Xander somehow to 
uh, take their side because they both feel that they are owed uh, Xander's backup because Will has obviously known him her whole life and Anya obviously is uh, his very Lover. serious yeah, romantic <laughs> partner. And so they both uh, feel uh, an understandable sense of entitlement, but then their antagonism uh, kind of puts him in the middle. And you really shouldn't do that, says Tara, and I agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, so in the... Um, uh, oh, yeah, so... The main emphasis for the plot is that Giles has to go to England to visit the Watcher's Council in the hope that um, they have some information on Glory that he wasn't able to cull from his own books. And while he's gone, uh, Willow decides to cast some cool spells, and Anya doesn't like it because she thinks she's being reckless with, you know, things that technically belong to Giles, not her. And Willow's like, eh, he'll be fine with it. And uh, through their kind of bickering, uh, rather than casting the spell that Willow intends to, they summon a giant troll who uh, kind of runs rampant throughout Sunnydale, um, attacking people, drinking ale, uh, smashing things (laughs) with his hammer. And uh, along the way, there's some, you know, heart-to-heart with Buffy and Dawn about Riley's absence. And then it all kind of comes together in Anya and Willow sort of understanding where each other are coming from and uh, Buffy beating up a troll to process her (laughs) grief. (laughs) What did you think of this episode? Buffy. (laughs) I like this episode a lot. I'm going to give it a B+. Um, It... Uh, is a nice, also, sort of chart graph of uh, where I am because when I first watched this show, I loved this episode because of the troll, and I thought the troll was so funny. And then yeah. I stopped liking this episode so much because I stopped liking the troll. Um, and this time, coming around, I'm like, oh, everything besides the troll is really, really funny in this episode. So now I like it again. And I'm like, the troll, you know kind of the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just sort of look past it. He has a couple of okay lines, but mostly I find the troll jokes very yeah. annoying. But they, lean in, they didn't lean into the rape jokes really heavily, which is pretty uncomfortable. Mm. He mentions um, multiple times having his way with the women, and I was like, stop, stop saying that. <laughs> That's not a good joke. <laughs> um, but Spike and Anya are... So, so good in this episode, and it makes a nice sort of, uh, I don't know who wrote this episode. Well, I've got it right in front of me. I can look it up. Um, Jane Espenson, of course. No surprise there. (laughs) It makes a really nice pairing with Fool for Love in terms of, like, redefining Spike's grief and (laughs) how it actually manifests to be, make him out to be pretty silly. (laughs) Yeah, silly and bad. He's yeah. a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, I like this episode as well. I had a similar reaction with the troll in that, at the, uh, you know, back in the day, I was like, ah, what a funny performance, what a funny thing. But uh, liking it less now. But the the other things are uh, 
pretty solid. Yeah, Anya's very good. Spike's very funny. Uh, and the kind of a, emotional arc of Anya and Willow, like the show did a good job of setting it up over a pretty long period of time and then finally kind of uh, accelerating it over, you know, this season and then it comes to a head here and I think that uh, similar to what you were saying about our previous episode, this is kind of the first time in the show that they decided like, oh, we should really take Anya seriously as a character and, you know, how does she feel about the way that everyone is being sarcastic to her? She doesn't feel good about it, so <laughs> understandable. Yeah. I don't like being made fun of, especially no, by people neither. who are really only tangentially my friends. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah, right to your face. Very, very rude. Uh, but, oh yeah, so the first scene I kind of wanted to get into, uh, it's sort of tangential, it's just a scene that is brought up Partly as a joke, where Xander is wondering, uh, Xander and Anya are wondering how Buffy's handling this uh, breakup with Riley, and then it cuts to nuns in a convent, and uh, of course she's not dressed like a nun, she's dressed like Buffy in a very sateen pink shirt, attacking a vampire, but then afterwards she becomes somewhat interested in the nunnery, and asks some questions about how the food is, and uh... You have to be super religious to become a nun. And in a way, uh, this is the main point that I wanted to bring up, which is only sort of like a vague wondering, but I was like, why isn't Buffy super religious? Like, she knows <laughs> demons exist and gods yeah. exist. Like, what is, what's keeping her other than, I guess, you know, her not being particularly studious from <laughs> really embracing the faith? It's true. Um, and in fact, in next season, she's going to declare that there is a heaven. <laughs> she got to go in spite of her not being super religious. So that's cool of her. <laughs> yeah. God's an and all right the, guy. And the Buffyverse uh, works are more important than rule abiding. Yeah, then. Do good works. Dutiful piousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. The main thing that I noticed about that scene is after she stakes the vampire, she just throws the stake away. And I'm like, someone had to make that for you, Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> just disposing of stakes. It's a really important part of your job. It's true. I also thought it was a generally better Whedon cut than your average Whedon cut. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, <laughs> I appreciated the... Like, of all the ways you could have done that joke, I think a nunnery would have been the most unexpected for me, so it's pretty good. Uh, next scene that you wanted to talk about? Uh, let's see. Um, I guess let's move uh, to the Spike apology scene. Oh, sure. <laughs> Sad Buffy mannequin. <laughs> the mannequin that he's stolen along with her clothes mentioned in the uh, episode uh, Listening to Fear. <laughs> right. He's been taking her stuff so they can dress up mannequins like Buffy. Uh, one of the highlights of this season, uh, connecting things over the course of the whole season. So he gets the mannequin, I believe, from the dump 
and the mm-hmm. replacement <laughs> and he gets Buffy's clothes and listening to fear and now it's all coming together he's trying to apologize to her and uh, we get sort of what we were you know it's a nice coda like I was saying to Fool for Love like if you come out of Fool for Love feeling like very empathetic and emotionally tied to Spike in that moment over his rejection. This episode really lays bare how selfish and self-involved his quote-unquote attra- like love and attraction for Buffy is, and why it would make perfect sense to <laughs> reject him. Right. <laughs> yeah, even in his, like hypothetical conversation, which is essentially a fantasy. It ends with him punching her in the face. So. <laughs> and I think James Marsters plays it really well. Like, um, that's my major takeaway from that scene is that he starts off, you know, he's <laughs> getting, uh, he's doing his apology. He starts to get angrier and angrier and then he starts hitting her with the cake <laughs> and kicking, kicks over the mannequin. And then he picks it up gently and brushes it off, <laughs> restraightens the cake, and it's like, Buffy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he is, you know, well aware enough to realize exactly why this apology isn't going to go over, but not well aware enough to actually fix it to make it a real apology. <laughs> he's yeah. not, he's like, I was just trying to help, but you know that, like, in your head, you hear her arguing with that point because you know that's not what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't have a better approach. Yeah. It reminded me of a pretty awkward moment in Nathan For You where in the season finale or whatever, uh, the main character, Nathan's helping him find a uh, person he considers a long-lost love but then Nathan becomes concerned about the way that he's been talking about her and is like, well, you haven't seen this woman in a really long time, so maybe we should, like, do some kind of rehearsals, talk about how you would talk to her. So then he hires, like, an actress to, like, pretend to play her, and everything the person does at first, the guy is, like, really, really uh, upsetting and creepy about. Like, he sits down on the couch next to her and immediately puts his hand on her thigh and is like, Francis, I've been in love with you for 30 years. And I was like, that's not a good cut. Wait, cut, cut. That's not a good way to start this conversation. Glad to see that this male behavior still needs to be addressed 15 mm-hmm. years later. That's true. <laughs> um, did you want to like continue more chronologically, or do you want to keep talking about Spike for a bit? Yeah, we can talk about Spike for a bit. There's some... Some good stuff going on there. I think that... Oh, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I think Spike is probably the best uh, secondary person in all buddy cop scenarios. Like, almost every time you pair Spike with someone who he doesn't get along with, Giles, (laughs) Andrew, or Xander, it almost always results in funny comedy to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the parts when uh, Xander shows up and is trying to complain about things, then... At first, Spike doesn't care, but then, even when he tries to commiserate, it creates funny dynamics where he's like, yeah, a lot of people never got Drew. And he's like, oh, that's because she was insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's really dismissive of Spike's (laughs) feelings. (laughs) 
But that's okay. They're really talking past each other in a way that's really funny. Because all yeah. Spike wants to talk about is Buffy, and all Xander wants to talk about is his real world problems. Instead <laughs> of Spike's invented fantasies. <laughs> and of course, we get the continuing line that's going to come up. I think multiple times over multiple episodes of Spike's obsession with the bloom and onion. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that delicious blooming onion. Deep fried. <laughs> Did you feel like eating one after you watched this episode? Because I did. I've never had a blooming onion, but it does sound pretty good. Do you like onion rings? I do like onion rings. It's similar to onion rings, but with a cool dipping sauce. Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to say about Spike, or are we done with Spike? Yeah, I mean, um, the... The way in which uh, he reveals himself to be, you know... Like, exactly how self-interested and, like, you know, not moral. Like, like he is essentially someone who has decided he cares about Buffy, and so he's decided that he cares about doing good sometimes, or at least in the sense of trying to impress when her. When she's around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How quickly that disappears when she isn't around. When the troll shows up and is talking about babies, and Spike is immediately self-concerned of, like, oh, I don't want this troll to hit me because he's pretty big. So he's like, eh, what do you think? The hospital? Is that the best place to find babies? He also and... thinks it's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he can't he's hide. He's unconcerned like... about those babies. <laughs> right. He can't hide what a sociopath he is when he's not trying to impress a woman. So. Just... Same. And, and that he immediately assumes that Xander is on the same page of, like, complete self-interest and self-preservation. It's like... Oh, I don't care about babies. I just don't want to get hurt by this person. I assume Xander feels the same way. What do you think? The hospital? Is that a good place <laughs> to get babies? Get this guy out of here? I also really like his delivery of the line right after that when Buffy shows up and he like steps forward and he's like, Hello, Buffy. <laughs> she, pays, <laughs> she pays no attention to him. <laughs> this is a big-ass troll. <laughs> yeah. And he's been building up in his head that she's been like dwelling on him this whole time of being like... Yeah. Oh, I'm so mad at Spike. Like, how could he ruin our relationship like that? Like, his whole uh, arc in this episode <laughs> is based on the idea that she's been thinking about that constantly. So he's like, oh, this is going to be really meaningful that we're finally talking again since this happened. Hello, <laughs> Buffy. And she just ignores him. It's uh, not the type of episode that would win Emmy Awards, but I think submit James Marsters mm -hmm. for the Emmy for this episode. He's real good. It is real good. <laughs> and I think that's, like, one of the things that, uh, I mean, uh, it's sort of kind of tends to be lacking in television. Like, people are having their own things, but they're usually having their own things, like, in separate places or whatever. Like, so that whenever someone is having some kind of emotional moment in a scene with another person... It's about, like, their emotional thing, and they're, like, yeah. kind of connected in that. And that's not how real life works. Like, yeah. you know, uh... uh like very rarely how, like, yeah. real life works. Yeah, like, uh... <laughs> Even I mean, when people are very connected, they're still only connecting, like, 60 or 70%. There's still right. ways in which they're always, like, not... Missing each page. other. Yeah, uh, Pete Holmes says it a ton on his podcast, uh... No one's thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And even when um, he tries to help, um, he's really bad at it. He just keeps yeah. fluffing that one woman's like shirt underneath her head right. over and over again. <laughs> like a flight attendant or something. Yeah. Just like fluffing pillows before they hand them to the first class passengers. Okay. Uh, moving on to the more emotional core of the episode. Um, Buffy is in her room alone and Dawn comes in and wants to talk about Riley and I think this is a really well written scene but I also think it really ties together some of the things that we've been talking about specifically the idea that Dawn is going to serve as this fulcrum for Buffy maturity because it's hard mm -hmm. like this is the exact problem with Riley, in essence, was that Buffy wasn't doing this. But mm -hmm. Dawn walks in and asks a question, and Buffy just answers it. Yeah. Like, for the first time, maybe, since, like, season two. <laughs> true. She, she sort of realized the eh, ways, in, like, ways in which Riley is right, that she has been shutting people out, and realizes that she can't, she can't do that to Don, like, you know, for lots of reasons, but, uh, it's a, it's a really well-acted scene, too. Michelle Trachtenberg's, yeah. like, really good at being, like, like, sensitively inquisitive. Like, she's, like, a teenager who's, like, asking questions because she's, like, genuinely interested in it, but not in quite the same way that she has in, be in before, where she's, like... Yeah kind of a little too blunt like she's like still for like normal social interactions or like a quote-unquote adults interactions she's like more to the point and blunt than most people would be comfortable with but like it's not out of a uh, rudeness or like insincerity or like trying to put someone on the spot she's just asking because she's very curious and like trying to connect with Buffy and I think that that's like a a pretty cool way in which, like, Trachtenberg modulates her acting to, like, be kind of doing the same thing that the character always does, but, like, in a, you know, very sincere way. Yeah. I love the uh, part when um, she says that it, you know, it was like, boom, he was gone, and then Buffy's like, well, actually, according to everybody else, it was really more gradual than that, and Don goes, does that make it better? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Or does that make and it then, worse? <laughs> yeah, because you should have known. Because you feel like you should have known or something like that. Yeah. And that's like something that a lot, I feel like many, many adults would think, but like would be too embarrassed to say because it feels like, you know, it could be easily read as like an accusation of like failing in the relationship on somebody's part. But it, like the way that she delivers it it's 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 very sweet it's very genuine it's like you know understanding of the way in which like that's a real thing that you're gonna feel and i think i mean yes it's definitely dawn's character who's empathetic and michelle trachtenberg's acting but it also probably has a little something to do with being a child because i think like a lot of adults who've already gone through those experiences, they don't ask the questions because they assume that you feel about it 
how they felt about it when they went through that experience. Right. So they're like, oh, I thought it was sudden, but it was gradual. I remember how that made me feel. You probably feel the same way. That's right. how everyone feels in these situations. Yeah. And because Dawn hasn't experienced it yet, she hasn't really gone through dating or heartbreak, she is more genuinely curious as to Buffy's like actual feelings in a way that an adult might. In fact, we have an example of it earlier when Xander and Anya are talking about it, and they're talking about it from a very, this is what happened to Buffy and Riley perspective. Not going to happen to us. We're not at all yeah. aware of the problems that we also have as humans right. who are in a relationship. <laughs> We've had this nice moment in the last episode, and uh, Xander's not going to leave. Big bomb clock. <laughs> well, everything's great. And always will be. <laughs> that always works out. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get pulled into that trap, though. Yeah. Early on in a relationship. It is great at the like, beginning. Wow. Yeah, wow, this is going so great. We never fight. Like, we agree on so much stuff. Like, why is dating so hard for other people? This is amazing. <laughs> we got it all worked out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, that puzzle. Xander's Relationship debris is kind of piling up on the Buffy Highway. And it's like, she's had one more relationship than you. And yeah. <laughs> and it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah I also thought that was a little strange because I was like hey two relationships over the course of five years that's not a lot of relationships <laughs> and of course I mean I don't expect 20 year olds to be there so it would be bad writing if they were and I think the show mm-hmm. gets there eventually anyway but just sure. to express my own personal opinion, a relationship that ends in a breakup isn't a failed relationship. Not if it meant something good to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, you know, yeah. Like. I would um, maybe consider Angel and Buffy's relationship a failed relationship because it involves power dynamics and abuse dynamics that I think are bad and the show doesn't yeah. really deal with. But I would not consider Riley and Buffy's relationship a failed relationship. They both really grew as people and found out a lot about themselves and what they want and how to love for the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. And also, you know, I mean, the uh, societal pressure or whatever like that stems from that, that like a real failure would be, having speaking even from personal experience, but just a generalized experience as an adult that like not breaking up is like a much bigger failure because oh yeah then you're just (laughs) putting someone through something that neither of you particularly want to be a part of and drawing out something that's kind of inevitable it's a real bad way to be yeah that's probably an issue with television and film in general is that we don't get very many breakups in which the people are like this is time, it's time to break up. There's always, mm-hmm. like, a little bit of, like, a cord left, like, mm, maybe we should have kept pulling on it. Right. <laughs> like, and I know, think that Buffy literally runs to tell Riley that she wants mm-hmm. him to stay, probably. Maybe she ran to tell him that, <laughs> to give a queen break. She's like, <laughs> she's like, Riley, Riley. He, like, jumps down. She's like, hey, um, 
You were right. I don't think we're a great match. I really loved you, and I really appreciated the time that we spent in this relationship. Have fun. Have fun in the jungle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and so you don't get that many relationships that end like that. Kind of mm-hmm. Oz and Willow in this show, but obviously Oz is still connected, but mm-hmm. Willow's sort of like, we're done now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I guess it's, you know, it's less dramatic to write, even though it can mm-hmm. still be pretty painful and upsetting, even when you know it's the right decision, but... It's a more complicated, yeah. nuanced thing. Yeah. If it weren't painful and upsetting, we wouldn't all wait like a week to like a month after we realize it to do it. Mm-hmm. Or several <laughs> years in my case. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's like a bunch of like semi-funny articles on the uh, internet where like you Google like, should I break up with my significant other? And the article <laughs> says, if you're Googling this, the answer is yes. <laughs> 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 and that's the, the whole content. Yeah. I don't 100% agree with that thesis, but it's probably right most of the time. Yeah. Far more often than it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because by the point you've gotten to, like, Googling it, you've been considering it for a pretty while. Like, it's not like the first thing that someone does is like, oh, we just had a fight. Should I break up with my girlfriend? I better Google that. I want to see what other people on the internet think. <laughs> Like, that's, like, a sad thing where you're, like, you know, like, weeks or months of, like, being, like, oh, should I or should I not? And you're just, like, sad and, like, one in the morning just being, like, Yeah, you're looking know. for some secondary source to underline your feelings. Right. <laughs> I need science to solve this for me. I don't feel confusing <laughs> by myself. And then, of course, when the breakup comes, then you've got a way to deflect the blame. Be, like, yeah. I was on the fence about it, but this BuzzFeed article told me I should, so. (laughs) I'm very sorry, but the internet has spoken. (laughs) Be a good game show. (laughs) Someone just explains the problems that they're having with their relationship, and then they take an audience poll for whether or not to break up with them. (laughs) True. Okay. Like they like yo is this racist for dating? Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess now we're moving on to like the sort of central part of the episode, uh, which is Willow and Anya. Mm-hmm. Um. I like the source of the conflict a lot. Like it's not something. It's something that makes sense and something that. Um, isn't like so obtuse that I would necessarily pick up on. But then when they say it, you know, the source of the conflict is that they both really like Xander. <laughs> and that causes issues sometimes because mm-hmm. they both want his time and affection. And mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, and they're also like sort of... Uh as an ancillary thing, like, worried about the other person's participation in the relationship because of history, which I think yeah. is, like, an interesting dynamic. Being like, yeah. oh, you punished men for a thousand years. 
Oh, well, the last relationship he was in, you broke up with, <laughs> broke them up by making out with them. <laughs> so in a way that they, they can both insist, I would never do that, but it is at least slightly understandable that the other person would be suspicious based on <laughs> their past records. <laughs> yeah, I would say that the reason why I was more interested in talking about the other two things is that it just sort of like... When it gets to the point where they're going to talk about it, it just, like, comes sledding in, like, full speed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, there's not, like, little bits over the episode, like, dropped. It's just, Mm -hmm. like, suddenly they're talking about it, and then it's kind of solved-ish. Yeah, I I noticed that as well, and uh, was something that sort of uh, would be one of my maybe minor complaints about the episode is that, like... It seems like they both have the realization that that's what they're actually angry about at, like, the exact same time. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, <laughs> here we are. We figured it out, what we're actually annoyed about. Though, yeah, because of doing it that way, Anya's perfect delivery and Anya-ness um, makes for a really good joke later when uh, they're asking whether or not Xander's okay, and uh, she's like, Will and I are okay now, too. Uh, we talked it out. She loves you, but not in a sexy way. <laughs> She's gay now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Will is kind of like, yeah. <laughs> so. That's more or less it. <laughs> <laughs> more or less what happened. Um, I think I will note down this episode as one of the better episodes, like as a side note, of Tara sort of like sliding in there and like being able to add like uh i would say third heat but in this case more like a seventh heat (laughs) to the episode like uh before now when the episode hasn't solely focused on her she's kind of just been like background moving back and forth but they're actually Mm -hmm. like figured out who tara's character is and so they're like weaving her in in ways to like make sense yeah, I mean, I mentioned it in my pot description, but when she's, like, standing up for Xander and being like, it's really unfair that you're pulling him into this, <laughs> I was like, it sure is. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good point. And then she's also... I don't want to and then, boil her uh, character down to the sensitive one, but she gets a lot of nice scenes of doing emotional work in this episode with Buffy, with Willow, <laughs> explaining to Anya very calmly what the cat in the hat is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in a and way that's I'll, not patronizing, oh, unlike Willow. Sure, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and she, yeah, it's it's especially funny that Willow is so patronizing. That was something I wrote down to mention because she apparently completely missed the point of the cat in the hat in the <laughs> as a child because <laughs> the whole point is that he's an intrusive presence that really upsets the balance in a really negative way for this family. Like, and that they're good to be rid of him. Like, so her being like, I'm like the cat in the hat in this magic shop. It's like, well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, the fish is the conscience. <laughs> yeah. The fish is the one being like, hey, we shouldn't do this because it's going to be really bad. And then yeah, no, in terms of this specific argument, I would say that Anya is like 90% right. Mm-hmm. Like, has Willow done this before? Has Giles said that he's okay with this? Has she had to pay for it in the past? Anya's doing it in a very annoying, obtrusive way, but she's still on the right side of things. Like, right. 
I agree completely. <laughs> and like... I think even Giles is wrong at the beginning. Like he, you know, in the way in which he handles the situation when she's like, oh, I get to run the shop while he's gone. I was really excited. Like mm-hmm. the way to actually do that is be like, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this experience for you too. I'm really looking forward to seeing how you handle yourself. I just want to make sure that, you know, Willow and Tara and Xander stop by to help you out with some of the finer points with the things that you know you have trouble with. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty rude. <laughs> yep. Instead, <laughs> he has a long pause. Uh, I trust you with the money, Anya. <laughs> yep. You're very good with the books. <laughs> it's cool but. to find out uh, what Anya's strengths are, though. True. She's also strong about not fucking around with the merchandise. It's a good yeah. rule to have in a magic shop. <laughs> yeah. One <laughs> um, uh, one other terrorist side note I want to mention is it's kind of dropped in there, but I think it's really cool that they actually uh, call out. Um, I guess. In Terra's case, it's Amerocentric exoticism, but, you know, wherever you're from, like, exoticizing places that you're not from. So when Giles is going to England, she's like, ooh, it sounds exciting and exotic, unless you're English, in which case, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, good on Terra for thinking it through, since that's, of course, how we're all sort of raised. But it's a... um, Ooh, foreign lands. Yeah. It's ahead of its time in many ways. (laughs) having that discussion at all. That's <laughs> true. Too bad about the other episodes. They're yeah. the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to the beginning of season seven when it shows all those alternate slayers with their, yeah. like, Arabian and African music playing <laughs> <laughs> behind them. <laughs> Let me see if I have any other... Were there any other big things that we wanted to talk about? Otherwise, I'm just going to look over my small notes here. No, I think I brought up most of the stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, I brought it up early on, but the, the troll rape <laughs> jokes, not good. Um, yeah, small notes, I, uh, I enjoy Buffy taking down the uh, philosophy, everything happens for a reason. Do you notice people only ever say that about bad things? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um... Except for really obnoxious Christians, like the televangelicals or whatever. Like, aren't you supposed to not be rich? Isn't that like one of the tenets of Christianity? If God didn't want me to have all this money, I wouldn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A joke that didn't used to work for me, but now does, is when Anya very plainly delivers, I couldn't know if I (laughs) couldn't drive until I tried. Yeah. Um, man, I'd never noticed before how mean this line was, um, but, uh, when Willow and Anya are arguing, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but she says, Xander doesn't step out of line. I was like, whoa! Yeah. (laughs) That's the meanest thing that either of them have said to each other since they've known each other. It's true. It's very harsh. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's like a... Mean to both Anya and Xander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Xander, who she likes. of her friend. <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, no, I think, I mean, uh, 
if I remember right, the context is just like the uh, Anya trying to say, hey, Xander had my back on this thing. It's like, oh yeah, Xander, he never steps out of line. Ouch. And also ahistorical. <laughs> yeah. If we're considering, uh, well, to be talking about people that Xander has crushes on, he's actually yelled maybe even wrongly at Buffy sometimes in the past when he still had feelings for her. It's true. Maybe born of jealousy, but still, definitely was literally described as being out of line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like his delivery of the line, I would never hurt Xander. I would never hurt Xander. It's true. She's... Very believable. If I agree. in the end... Wrong. That's not possible. Yep. <laughs> Two people love each other, they're going to hurt each other. That's true. <laughs> um, when the troll comes into the magic shop the second time, Anya steps in front of Willow. Is Anya protecting Willow from the troll? I didn't notice that. <laughs> they're both sitting down at the table, um, mm -hmm. and granted Anya's closer to the door, but she kind of like... Gets in front of Will and like puts her arms around her, and I was like, "Well, it's an interesting bit of business by Emma Caulfield there, to be like, mm -hmm. she cares about people in a way in which maybe Willow doesn't as much." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what we're gonna find out. Yeah, I also think that you know, I mean, uh, given their history, it's something you would maybe feel more comfortable with, like, of the two of us. He's less likely to hit me because at least we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still a brave thing to do. Speaking of, the violence was very uh, painful to watch for me. What the troll does to Xander. Yeah. I could, I could feel like it in my body. The mouth. Yeah. He breaks his hand or wrist. Mm hmm. Um. Poor Xander. He really gets the brunt of. Realistic violence that doesn't kill him, at least. Yeah. Uh, over the course of the whole series, if violence is really going to land on a character, it's Xander. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Hitting a puppy with a live bee. Always funny. Continuation yep. of the land with no shrimp. That's all I got. Yeah. Let's look at what the I Wikipedia is. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. pretty nice. Continuity. Anya once again mentions the world without shrimp. <laughs> Just like a superstar. Anya states in this episode that she's driving for the first time, despite the fact that she asked Xander to get into her car and flee Sunnydale with her in Graduation Day Part 1. It is possible, however, she just hired one with a driver. I believe she said that they should, they could split driving, but maybe she didn't like this episode, just thought she could pick it up really quickly, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is not realistic. No. <laughs> driving is In not fact, at all an intuitive skill. Yeah. skill. Yeah. She's a much better driver than anyone who's behind the wheel for the first time should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My main uh, memory of learning to drive was uh, 
like the day that I got my learner's permit, my dad uh, like had me drive home on the freeway, and like that I was just, your first time driving. Oh well, I practiced driving yeah. like okay. in parking lots and stuff, but that was my first time driving on the road or whatever. Yeah, and uh, it was extremely hard to keep the car from like veering slightly right onto the like off the side of the road, and they had the, like the weird like ingrained bumps on the freeway mm-hmm. thing, so I kept just going and then like jerking the wheel to the left and then doing that over and over again. My dad getting really frustrated with me and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, Dad. Why are you mad at me? <laughs> Driving on the freeway is like the hardest part. They accurately mm-hmm. capture how terrifying it is and clueless. That's true. <laughs> she accidentally gets on and they just start screaming and they don't stop <laughs> until they're off the road. Yep. <laughs> Going very yeah. fast. And and everything is multiplied, like you noticed. So, like, if you were driving 35 on a country road, the amount that you would veer would be very slow over a very long period of time. But mm-hmm. that slight amount of veer that your car has becomes way more <laughs> exponentially higher when you're driving 80 miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this counts as anything. Olaf accurately predicts that Xander and Anya will not last as a couple. Most people don't last as couples. You got a good also, bet. Of, <laughs> yeah. The circumstances are not really a part of their coupling at all. <laughs> it's pretty rude. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the sense that no couples last if you count one of the two partners dying as not lasting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were maybe going to get back together. Um, Will wishes for Buffy to show up at the bronze. After that wish comes true, she says, I wish for a million dollars. Just checking, which references something blue, where whatever Will said came true. Mm. It's also a very old, bad joke. It's in the very first episode of Friends. And I'm sure it predates that as well. Yeah. There's got to be lots of uh, really bad sitcoms. I can picture probably literally anyone in a sitcom Mm -hmm. delivering that joke at some point, even though. Deleted scenes. Uh, Slime of Willis was cut when Giles returns from England and sees the damage of the magic box. Uh, Giles, could you make an angry face? Because the smile is kind of scaring me. I did notice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. I feel like we maybe mentioned it before, but this time I re-noticed the shoplifters will be transfigured sign. I thought that was funny. <laughs> In this episode, Olaf calls Anya Anyanka. However, he would have known her as Aud C. Selfless. International titles. In French, this was called Triangle. Triangle. In German, it was called Der Ammer der Zerstörung, the Hammer of Destruction. This episode is Anya centric. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Anya. Anya centric episode, and it's really Anya Willow centric. She yep. doesn't even get it really. She never gets her own centric episode. <laughs> well, Selfless is. There might be yeah. another one along the way. But yeah. Alright. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you are enjoying it. If so, 
please subscribe using your podcast listening application. Give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. We do appreciate it. If you thought we had anything else to say about Triangle, you were and are myth taken. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Oh, my God.